Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, good morning, church. It is good to see you guys this morning. My name is Nick Jonkowski. For those of you who don't know, I'm the associate pastor here at Mosaic Church. And uh, welcome to those who are joining us online today as well. And I am so excited to be able to be up here and talk and share with you this morning because I believe that God has something significant and transformational that he wants to do in your life this morning because of God's word. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. So if you're just joining us today, we are in the middle of a series called The Story of Samson. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking from the book of Judges at the life of this Israeli strongman. We've been exploring both his successes, his failures, but also how God was able to use this man despite his many, many shortcomings. And so today, we're going to be looking at another area of Samson's life. Uh, Specifically, we're going to talk about a subject from Samson's life that I have little experience in. Well, let me say that differently. I actually have a lot of experience with what we're going to talk about. I just have very little experience with doing it well. I have a lot of experience with doing it very poorly. And today, we're going to talk about this idea of seeking revenge, or more specifically, doing right when we've been wronged. Now, church, I wish I could get up here this morning and tell you that as a pastor, anytime somebody wrongs me, I default always go to this place of just offering uh, love and forgiveness to that person. But to do so would be lying. And I don't want to get struck by lightning from the pulpit this morning. The truth is, over and over and over again, and time and time again, I often default to my more base desire to seek revenge when somebody has wronged me, when there's injury, when somebody comes at me with a bad attitude, and most specifically, when people are driving slow on the fast lane on the highway. I really get vengeful at that point. But... The truth is, leave it to the Holy Spirit, right? The week that I am actually preaching on revenge to bring up a circumstance in my life to so perfectly demonstrate how flawed I am in this area. So let me tell you what happened. Jason and I, every Monday, meet for what we call Meetings Monday over at Coffeeville. Michael sees us there all the time. And it's our opportunity to be able to connect and debrief, and also look forward to the week ahead. Well, this past Monday, Jason and I were talking, and the subject of church hurt came up. And I was talking to Jason about this idea that I had this deep wound in my heart from somebody at a previous church that I had been at. And Jason, as he is so gifted at doing and asking questions and helping you kind of explore what it is you're feeling, he looked at me and he said, Nick, could you sit down and have coffee with this person? To which I immediately responded, yes, Jason, I could have coffee with this person so I could reach across the table and punch him in the face. (laughs) 
Now, if you've ever seen a Christmas story, I know I talked about this a few weeks ago, there's this beautiful scene in this, in this movie where Ralphie is helping his dad change the tire, right? And he's got the bolts from the tire in his hand, and he drops them. And he says fudge, but he really doesn't say fudge. And in this scene, the camera pens from Ralphie's face to his dad's face as they're both coming to grips with just what just came out of his mouth. That was that moment for me. I knew what I had said. Jason knew what I said. And it was just hanging there in the ethos above our coffee table as silence filled the vacuum of that space. Until I sheepishly kind of looked at Jason and said, I should probably pray about that, huh? So yes, sometimes, church, I'm confessing to you this morning, I struggle with not doing right when I am wrong. And I know that in the room this size, and for those who are joining us online, I'm not the only one. Because seeking revenge is something that is a uniquely human characteristic. And I would imagine that there are people in this room who would say there are situations either I've encountered or I'm facing right now that I'm struggling to do right when I've been wronged. And our desires to get even with people manifest in a lot of different ways, don't they? There's some in this room who would say, I opt for a more, let's say, um, blatant, more kind of overt form of revenge. In other words, when I'm mad, I want everybody else to know about it. And I call that the Hulk smash approach to revenge, right? You don't care what it takes. You are going to inflict the maximum amount of damage when you have been injured. You don't just talk about punching somebody in the face over a coffee table. You actually do it. It's an attempt to inflict the maximum amount of harm and damage on an individual. But the truth is, when it comes to this subject of revenge, it's not often the um, dynamic or the boisterous ones that often get us in trouble, is it? More oftentimes, it's those petty, those small acts of revenge that we tend to traffic in every day. For example, a spouse says something to you in that tone. You know what I'm talking about, that tone, and you get angry. But instead of confronting them about it, you decide to get cold and pull away from them. Or maybe you take it a step further and you just ignore them completely. Maybe a coworker doesn't follow through with something at work. And so you subtly undermine them in front of their other employees during a company meeting. A next-door neighbor has a dog that barks nonstop. And so you decide that when you see them in need, you're not going to help them. Or students, how about for you? When a classmate doesn't invite you to a party and you decide rather than go talk to your friend, it's easier to gossip about them behind their back. Unless you think I'm just talking only about outward actions, how about this one? How many of us have those imaginary conversations with people about what we'd like to say to them? I do it all the time, non-stop. I have these imaginary conversations about if I could just say this to that person in that moment, ooh, that would get them. But here's the problem. Here is the problem. It doesn't matter whether you are overt in your revenge, whether you're subtle, or whether or not your revenge happens up here or in here. 
Revenge is something that is expressly forbidden to a Christian and Christ follower in God's word. You might say that there are some gray areas when it comes to some things in scriptures, but I'm here to tell you this morning, revenge is not one of those. For example, in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, the apostle Paul says this, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room a way open for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay evil, says the Lord. Now, I know when you, we come here every once in a while and I get up to speak, I like to help us speak Greek and Hebrew and the original language so we can understand better what the text is talking about. And so that word never in Romans 12, it's the, the Hebrew or the Greek pronunciation of that is me. Everybody say me. There you go. You're speaking Greek already this morning. Pat yourself on the back. What do you think that word never means? Hey, yeah, John, you got it. Yes, it means never. Never seek vengeance on someone else. The Apostle Paul is saying in this verse that we, there is no circumstance that nothing can be done to us as Christ followers that would ever justify us seeking revenge on that person. But what Paul is saying here, I also understand, is a very difficult thing for many of us to wrap our hearts and our heads around. It's something that it's hard for us to agree with unilaterally. Because here's the truth this morning. In this room, there are people, every one of us could say, we've wrestled with that, that, that desire to do wrong when someone's wronged us. But not everyone in this room has experienced the same level of trauma or pain. And the thought of letting go of the ability to harm somebody who's harmed us when we've suffered pain when we've suffered deep trauma, is suffocating for some. It's hard to let that go. But church, remember this morning what I said to you. I believe it and I was praying for it. I believe that God wants to help free you and those around you from carrying that baggage, that burden of seeking revenge. Because seeking revenge is a burden. Because here's the truth. When we dwell on this idea of getting revenge, when we're looking for opportunities to get revenge against somebody who's wronged us, that does more damage to our hearts and souls than it ever will do to the person that we actually get revenge on. And so we've come to a place then, the big question for today is, if revenge is never okay, if revenge is never justified, then how, church, do we do right when we've been wronged? The good news is God must have known we would have struggled with this. God must have known that we would wrestle with this trying to get even when we've been hurt because he gives us this incredible example of a very flawed individual in Samson. And we are going to look today at Samson's life and explore what he didn't do so well when it came to seeking revenge and how we might be able to do better. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask that you open them now to the book of Judges. We're in chapter 15. If you're online, you can join us as well. Um, if you have your phone, certainly feel free to use that as well. And just to catch you up in the story so far, if you remember last week, Samson was supposed to get married to this woman from Timnah, a Philistine woman. 
and it backfires on him. He's going to tell this riddle. It backfires, and Samson storms off in a terrible fit of rage. And the final verse of Judges 14, verse 20 says, and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended with him at the feast. So Samson, not being probably the most picture person of an emotionally healthy human being, is probably not going to take that very well. But let's see how he responds here. Beginning in Judges chapter 15, verse 1 through 7. It says, Later on at that time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Wow, dad. (laughs) And women, aren't we glad that we're not living 3,000 years ago? We've got a long ways to go, but we're getting there. So um, Samson said to them, this time, um, so he was sure I had hate her, take her instead. And so Samson said to him, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes, tied them tail to tail in pairs, and then he fastened torches to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks, the standing grain, together with the vineyards and the olive groves. And when the Philistines asked who did this, they were told, Samson, the Timnonite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. And Samson said to them, since you have acted like this, I swear I won't stop until I decide to, until I get my revenge on you. So what's happening here? We remember in chapter 14, Samson storms off from his, from his wedding, essentially. He's angry because his wife revealed the answer. And so he's decided that he wants to come back to his wife. And in doing so, he's bringing her a goat. Now, We learned last week that Samson's not probably the guy that we want to take cues from when it comes to romantic examples, right? We don't call our bay heifers, as we learned last week, but we also don't bring a goat when we mess up, right? You bring chocolate or flowers, or if you're my wife, you bring shoes, right? Yes. Um, But So Samson comes back to his wife, and when he arrives at this house, he tells the father-in-law, hey, I want to go up to my wife's room. Now, let's be honest. We all know what's on Samson's mind at this moment. He ain't going up there to pray with her, okay? But the father won't let him go up. Why? Because he's given her in marriage to somebody else, and there's probably somebody up there with her at this moment. Surprise, Samson. And notice, this is the offense. This is where the first offense has happened. And Samson, even though he is an idiot, and a jerk when it comes to women, had an offense wrongly done to him. His wife was given to somebody else without his knowledge or consent. And when the offense happens, Samson has a choice. He can either choose to do right when he's been wrong, or he can choose to seek revenge. And good old Samson, being Samson, decides that he's going down the path. And so we're going to learn some truths from what Samson did here. Now, notice Samson's response in this moment in verse 3. He says, This time I shall be blameless with regards to his actions and declaring his innocence and seeking revenge on the Philistines. Church, 
Every one of us does that. I do that. We like to justify our revenge by claiming our innocence in the matter. We say things like, I'm only teaching that person a lesson. I'm only showing them how I feel. And I'm just doing to them what they first did to me. I'm innocent. And so Samson declares his innocence in the situation, and then he moves forward with this completely ludicrous plan. As you will see, revenge tends to cloud our judgment. He goes and catches 300 foxes. And some theologians believe that they may have been actually jackals. And he decides that he is going to tie these foxes or jackals together in pairs by their tails, tie a torch to the end of their tails, and send them off with the lit torch into the Philistine hillsides, burning their crops to a crisp. Now, can I be honest for a moment? There was a time this week when I seriously had a thought, can I tie Chewy and Simon's tail together? The answer was no, because I knew my wife would be angry at me, and I'd have to go get you a goat. So I said, I can't do that. I can't do that. So Samson does this crazy thing, and we think, well, that's so sophomoric. It sounds like a fraternity prank that Samson is pulling on the Philistines. But Samson is doing something very intentional here, because the, Samson's, uh, the Philistines' economy was built on three cash crops, wheat, olives, and vineyards. And look in verse 5 what he burned. He burned all their grain. He destroyed their vineyards and their olive groves. And so Samson in this moment is seeking to inflict maximum damage on the Philistines by upending their whole financial economy. And yet, despite that, he has declared himself blameless because I am innocent in seeking revenge. What Samson failed to do in that moment is what oftentimes a lot of us fail to do as well, myself included. We fail to recognize our own guilt before we recognize the guilt in others. We fail to recognize our own guilt before we recognize the guilt of others. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says this, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, every one of us, myself included, every one of us sitting in this room, every one of us watching online, we've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. And Scripture says that because of that, we are guilty as we stand before a holy God. And several verses later, the Bible says in that same book that the punishment, the wages of that sin is death. So we are not only guilty, but we are also deserving of punishment. We are all fallen sinners who have no claim to innocence when we stand before God. And as I was thinking about this this week, I was reminded of the story from the book of John, one of the four gospels. It talks about the life of Jesus. And in the book of John, there's this story where the religious leaders of Jesus' day go and they find a woman who is in adultery and they drag her out naked, and they cast her before Jesus, and they say, Jesus, our law demands that she be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus 
gets down on one knee, and it says in the Scriptures that he starts writing in the sand. And it doesn't tell us what he's writing, but many theologians believe that he was perhaps writing out the sins of just leaders who were accusing this woman. And he responds to them by saying this, he that, is out, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And this stops these religious leaders, these Pharisees dead in their tracks because they rightly recognized in that moment that there wasn't one of them, there was not one who wasn't equally as guilty as this woman was before Jesus and before God. They realized that if they were to judge her, they were judging themselves. Plainly put, church, we should never seek revenge because as those who are equally deserving of God's judgment and punishment, we're not in a position to judge others. We're not in a position to judge others. We are all guilty, but for the grace and, and salvation of Jesus Christ, we would all be guilty and deserving of punishment from God. And so doing right when we've been wronged, we need to recognize others' guilt before we, our, our own guilt before we recognize the guilt in others. So things are starting to spin out of control for Samson and the Philistines, right? Things are going from bad to worse. And so the Philistines see what Samson's done, and they decide in response to burning their fields, they're going to go burn his wife and her father-in-law. And when Samson hears this, he says this, starting in verse 7, Since you have acted like this, I swear that I will not stop until I get revenge on you. And it says that he attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. That attacked viciously in the original King James translation says, smote them hip and thigh. He smote them hip and thigh. And that's actually a more accurate translation of what Samson is doing in this moment. It's a metaphor for a violent and bloody massacre. In other words, Samson literally ripped them apart hip and thigh. There's arms over here. There's legs over here. It's an Old Testament version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? And so Samson, in exacting his revenge, makes another error in his thinking because Samson failed to realize in seeking revenge against the Philistines, he was usurping God's role and place as the only just and righteous judge in the universe, and that is why the Apostle Paul admonishes us, challenges us, encourages us, not only to not seek revenge against others, but also to make space in our lives for, to leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay them, says the Lord's. Church, it is not in our job description as Christians. It is not in our job description as disciples and followers of Christ to seek revenge on those that have wronged us, to try and find justice in those moments. That job belongs to God and God alone. And there's a reason for that. Primarily because I'm not smart enough and I'm way too fallen to be able to carry out righteous judgment. I'm not smart enough and I'm way too fallen to carry out righteous judgment. Think about it. In my own limited human understanding, when somebody wrongs me, there is no way in my limited understanding that I have the ability to understand the circumstances or the motives of what caused that person to act and do to me what they did. I can't judge that. 
And to make matters worse, when I have been wronged, there is an issue of my own emotions and my own pain clouding my judgment. I'm not looking for the best for that person. I just want my pound of flesh. I want them to hurt like I've hurt. I have a hard time being able to judge what I want on a menu when we go out to eat, let alone being able to justly avenge someone who's wronged me. You see, it's God's place alone to decide the final avenged outcome of every injustice lives. Because God alone, who is all-knowing and all-powerful, is the only one who has the ability, first of all, to bring about just vengeance. But here's the thing that we need to catch. God alone is the only one in that just vengeance who can also bring about reconciliation to that person. Because God looks at a situation, even when he is bringing punishment, even when he is delivering vengeance and avenging injustice, he looks at that and says, how can I use this situation to help bring this person back into right relationship with me? And we don't do that. And so when it comes to revenge, it boils down to one thing. God sees. God sees. And so the question I have to ask you this morning, church, is this. Do you believe that or not? Do you trust that God is witnessing the wrong that has been done to you? Do you believe in his goodness and justice? Do you believe, church, that God will do what he says he will do? Because how you answer that question will uh, answer how you approach seeking vengeance on others. If I can say, yes, I believe that God will do what he says he's going to do, then I have freedom to begin to be able to let go of my desire to seek my revenge in that situation. Because my God said he's going to wipe away every tear and make every injustice right when it comes to the end of time. And I can rest in that. A good litmus test for that church this morning is just ask yourself, when you're faced with the challenge or the opportunity to do wrong when you've been wronged, what thoughts go through your head? How do you respond? Because I can tell you what I did this week. I said I wanted to pull a church lead over the table and punch him in the face. God's been working on my heart this week. I'm so if we're doing right when we've been wronged, That means we need to leave the job of avenging justice to God's um, capable hands. So let me close with this. I'm going to wrap up with this and start to um, bring our our message to a close here as we're getting short on time. In Judges um, 15, 8 through 7, I'm going to ask you guys to read that at another point. I'm going to summarize very quickly what happens in this verse. Samson has just smote them hip and thigh, okay? He is run away and hidden in a cave at Edom. And the Philistines are now coming to get Samson. And they have vengeance on their mind, and they are going to take innocent blood of the Israelites to do so. They don't care. They want their pound of flesh. And so the Israelites show up with Samson, and they say, Samson, what have you done? We need you to go turn yourself in. And Samson agrees. And it's perhaps one of the most unselfish and heroic moments of Samson's life. Because in that moment, he had a choice. He could have said, nope, I'm not going, and escaped and left those 3,000 men to their doom at the hands of the Philistines. Or 
He could have said, I'm going to stay here, and he probably would have had to fight his countrymen. But Samson goes down, he turns himself in, and as he's walking towards the Philistines, it says that the Spirit of God came upon him, and the ropes fell off his arms, and he had great victory over the Philistines because he finds the jawbone of a donkey, and he slays 1,000 men. But that's not the point of this story. The point is found in verse 14. Look there really quickly. It says this, that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, And the ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Verse 14 is meant to tell us that everything that happens in that moment is because God's Spirit enabled Samson to do that. It was not by Samson's own might or by his own strength. The ropes fell off because God, he had victory in that impossible situation because the Spirit of God filled him and enabled him to do so. But here's the truth. When we are facing situations where we have been hurt, where we have been um, dealt trauma, that can feel like an impossible situation to let go of our desire to hurt that person. It can feel like an impossible situation where we desire to inflict our revenge. I can't let this go. Nick, you don't know what was done to me. A spouse walks out on you. How am I supposed to choose right over wrong? A friend betrays trust. How am I supposed to choose right over wrong? In those situations, Paul's words in Romans 12 can feel like it's miles away. Like I can never do that. And here's the truth. You can't. You can't. We cannot, of our own abilities, of our own strength, and of our own might, ever live out what Paul has called us to do in not seeking revenge when we've been wronged. But here is the amazing news this morning, church. God gave us his Holy Spirit that we may live out what Paul has written in the Scriptures. God gave us the same Spirit that infilled Samson to have victory over impossible situations. That same Spirit indwells in you this morning. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 12 and 13, it says this, that therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature desires you to do. For if you live by what it dictates, you will die. But through the power of the Spirit, you can put to death the deeds of the sinful nature and you will live. When we have been wronged, God wants us to yield our hearts to the work of His Spirit First, turning to the temptation of seeking revenge. So how do we do that? I think there's two prayers that need to happen this morning. Now, remember, I said at the beginning of this message that I think God wants to do something powerful in your lives this morning. And I believe that as I've been sharing, as I've been speaking, there are those in this room who would say, I have a relationship with Jesus, and yet I still find myself in a position where I am struggling to release my desire to seek vengeance. I believe that there are people that God has been putting on your heart, situations that God's been saying, it's time to let that go, to give that to me, to trust that into my capable hands. If that's you, I want to pray for you this morning. And so I'm just going to ask everybody to close their eyes and bow their head. And I just want to pray for you this morning. If that's you, 
with uh, every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you and you say, I need to release this revenge, I need to give this to God, would you raise your hand from your seat and just let me know who I'm praying for, if that's you. Yep, I see you. I see you, I see you, I see you. Yep, Mm mm-hmm. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true despite what we feel. And in your word, God, you say that you give us your spirit to be able to do things that in our own strength we can't do, just like Samson. And so, God, we confess to you today that there have been things in our lives that we have been carrying, desires of revenge to be able to get even with others. Jesus, we ask today that you would come by your spirit and transform and change that. We give that to you and ask that you would do and bring justice in those situations. We thank you for that, and we pray that in your son's name. Amen. And you recognize that for the first time, I'm not even in a position where I, can have a, where I have a relationship with Jesus. I can't even go to him and be able to begin to ask him to help me take this off my plate because I've never committed my life and my heart and my soul to Christ. Here's the good news. Scripture says that we have all sinned, right? And we've all fallen short of the glory of God and that the punishment for that sin is death. But we know in Scripture that Jesus came and died on Calvary so that we would not have to pay that price. He took the punishment, the judgment, and the guilt that we rightly deserved, died on Calvary, and raised again as the perfect atonement for those sins, for my sins, for your sins. And Scripture says that in order to receive that gift from Christ, all we have to do in this moment is to be able to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, and we will be saved. It's a prayer. And so again, this morning, I'm just going to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. And this time I want to ask, if that's you, if you say this morning, I want to make that decision to commit my heart to the Lord. I want to follow after Jesus. Would you just raise your hand? We want to know who's praying that for the first time. Amen. I see you. I see you. I see you. Will you pray with me silently from your chair? I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy. Just pray this simple prayer with me from your chair. Jesus, I confess today that I am fallen. I am guilty and deserving of judgment. But your son, Jesus, died on a cross for me. And I accept that and believe in that death that I may have eternal life in you. Lord, come into my heart today. Change me from the inside out. Help me to follow you from this day forward. Amen. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. 
for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.